0: Hello, my hoki mai, kite roki roki o te awa o waho. Kia ora and welcome to the River O pa waho podcast. Thanks for joining us. Throughout January, we're looking at the Psalms and what they have to say to us as we follow Jesus in our modern world. This week, Jess Arcus shares with us from the depths of Psalm 42. Our prayer is that Jesus would speak to you and that you would know his closeness through times of despair and disorientation.
1: Today I'm gonna share a bit on Psalm 42 and also Psalm 43, just cause it kind of is a continuation. If it's familiar to anyone, it might conjure up images of someone who is in the depths of despair, or waterfalls and crashing waves and deep calling to deep. I promise that I won't be a Debbie Downer and leave us in the pit, just as the psalmist doesn't either. Like the psalmist, I may cry. I'm not going to make any promises about that. But as James reminded me, that the river Opawaho is about authenticity, so I'm allowed to. But just to say if you're in the sunny glorious peak of the mountains right now I'm really stoked for you and celebrate with you and there'll be something in here for you as well. I think that we all probably know by now if we've lived at least a few years that hard things are going to come in life. There's no dodging the waves no matter how much control we think that we have over our lives stuff just happens. As followers of Jesus I think that the question we might ask Is what posture does God invite us to be in during those times? Is there an alternative to full-blown anxiety or crippling despair? How are we called to be in the midst of it all? And what should we be expecting of God in those hard times? So last year I was lucky enough to go on a three-day silent retreat up at Sister Evelyn Retreat House in Sumner. It's very, very beautiful up there. I recommend it if anyone is looking for somewhere to go. Two weeks before the retreat, I had received an email from a school to say that a spot had come up for my daughter Ivy. We'd been homeschooling, but had put her name down on the wait list a year before, just in case she wanted to give it a go. I secretly hoped that she wouldn't, But when we got the email, she said she was, in fact, keen to give it a go. She would start in two weeks. I felt my whole world was about to flip upside down, and I really needed some time to process it with God, so the retreat couldn't have come at a better time. For the last seven and a half years, everything I'd been doing up until that point had centred around my kids' and facilitating their learning, facilitating them to follow their passions outside of school. We had the freedom to come and go as we pleased to play and work and rest at our own pace, and I just loved the connection that we all had. Obviously, it wasn't 100% perfect, which is why we had put Ivy's name down on the waitlist in the first place, just in case, but for the most part, we loved it. Now it seemed like the whole trajectory of our life that I had been planning was about to change and my heart was breaking. I felt grief and doubt and like I was being pushed into a place I didn't want to be, and wrestled with the question of what was even best for the girls. The waves were crashing over me and I was being tossed in all directions. The mental space on retreat two weeks after the email and four days before school would start allowed me to wrestle and reflect and write and cry and ask God questions. Near the start, a word that Frances had given me months before ended up surfacing, and I was really thankful for it. The word was interrupted, and she mentioned that it might be good to look up its musical meaning, as in the interrupted cadence. Now, I'm just going to pause here. I'll pick up the story soon after I've read the psalm. But first, I just feel like I need to say to all of us, including myself, because I'm having to learn this, that different circumstances for different people can bring up the same feelings of grief and sadness. That hard feelings are hard feelings, whether or not we may deem the circumstances worthy of those feelings. It is unhelpful to compare our hard things to other people's hard things. It's unhelpful to try and brush aside our feelings because so-and-so has it way harder. God is bigger than that and wants to comfort all his children. He's big enough to do that and also like to be with people who are in war-torn countries and the big things, the big things and the little things, like it's not too much for him. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, "'Where is this God of yours?' My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowd of worshippers, leading the great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks, amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Saviour and my God.' Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, Mizar, I don't know, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God, I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. You, God, are my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. So I'm sure for a lot of you it's resonating. But I'm also sure that for some of you, not so much at the moment, that right now you're at the mountaintop or even lying down in lush grass by streams of fresh water, basking in some good, good sunshine. And if so, that is wonderful. You should celebrate that and enjoy it. It's just as certain that hard times will come as it is that beautiful, freeing, joy-filled times will come. So please keep feeling that good sun on your face. God is as much with us in the joy and peace as he is in the hard. So I just think this psalm is so great because it shows the honest ups and downs of human emotions as we wade through the muck of life. So he says, I feel so far from you, God. Where are you? Come on, self. It's going to be okay. Yep. Okay, yes, God, I trust that you're actually with me, but God, where are you? And also, God, you're my rock. And also, this is too hard for me to bear. And God, it's your face that I seek. I know you're the source of my joy and peace. And also, I feel like I'm drowning And how long? And will this be forever? And I know this won't go on forever. And I'm waiting expectantly for you because I know that you won't let me down. (laughs) Hands up if you can relate to that. (laughs) Throughout the psalm, it really is like the psalmist is in the ocean, at one moment in the midst of a freshly broken wave, the next in the calm of the in-between, and it seems that the waters keep crashing, then subsiding, crashing, then subsiding. He seems to undulate between crying out to God about how hard things are and reminding himself to look in hopeful expectation to God for his sustenance and way out. The psalmist is so beautifully human. And what really stands out to me about the psalm is the way he so wonderfully models to us how we can hold both grief and sadness in one hand and hopeful expectation in the other. Among other things, he wails, Oh my God, my life is cast down upon me, and I find the burden more than I can bear. I do just love how honest he is. The psalmist is in a deep depression away from his home, missing worshipping with his community, missing being in the presence of his God. He is feeling the burden of being in a hard place and he doesn't shy away from letting God know how he feels. He talks about how he feels like he's drowning and being constantly battered by the full force of water falling from a tall ledge or the constant disorientation of waves crashing over him. Can't you just relate to that? Sometimes things just feel relentlessly hard in the constant exhausting battle and we wonder when things will let up. But God doesn't ask us to brush our uncomfortable feelings under the rug or shut them behind a locked door deep within our minds. He doesn't want us to stay away from him when we're going through hard things or to pretend that we've got it all sorted and can soldier on by ourselves. Thank you very much. God welcomes all the feelings out into the open and acknowledges the hardness of them. At the very depths of our despair, God is still there, deeper than all the depths, answering our calls, but also asking us at the same time to partner those feelings with a hope and expectation and a good God who promises to be with us, working in the midst of the stuff, and also eventually bringing us out of it with praise on our lips. There's a guy who wrote a commentary that I was looking at the last name Morgan. That's all I've got on him. He said this about holding both the grief and the hope and expectation at the same time. He said, the result is not deadening the psalmist's sense of sorrow, but rather setting it in right relationship with God. So the psalmist holds the hard stuff and the hope and expectation by continually and kindly bringing himself back to some truth rather than surrendering completely to a spiritual depression and discouragement. He reminds himself to hope in God with expectation that God would come through again as he has before, that joy and praise to a good God would fill his heart again. He reminds us that all the while we're being pummeled by water, we can actually still be secure in God's faithful, continued, committed, covenantal love in both the day and the night. If you're in a hard place, know that God isn't angry at you. He's still constantly and abundantly pouring his love and his kindness over you in the midst of your dark night, whether you feel it or not. I love that in each of the refrains of hope dotted throughout the psalm, that the psalmist is not saying, Oh, yay, now I've told myself not to languish too much. So now I'm feeling 100% better, and I'm ready to go back to leading the procession and banging on my drum or playing my harp or whatever it was that he liked to do. But he does remind himself that at some point in the future, as he directed his hope in God, that praise would come forth. So the whole of the two Psalms are full of the dichotomy of feeling burdened and grieved, but also holding on to hope and expectation, and ends by the psalmist asking God to send forth his divine light and truth to guide him out into the presence of God, this good God who is the real source of our joy and peace, not our circumstances and who is always moving, always present, and always for us, reassuring us that the season of hardness that we're in is not our home, that there's more to come, that he is bringing us out into a new day. So to carry on my story, I mentioned earlier that when I was on retreat, tumbling about in the waters, I recalled the word interrupted cadence. I'm just going to give you a wee demo, so that what I'm about to say makes sense, hopefully. So this is a perfect cadence. You can see how that kind of sounds like the piece is ending. It's totally wrapped up. There's no expectation of more music to come after that to make it sound finished. This, on the other hand, is an interrupted cadence. So it goes. It sets us up to expect one thing and then gives us something different. So it doesn't sound like the piece is resolved or finished, like something has to happen after that to make it actually resolve. So the, the perfect cadence is called a five to one and the interrupted is a five to six, just so that the next thing makes sense. Anyway, so at the time when Francis gave me the word, it didn't really feel like it applied to anything. But like any word that I receive, I held it like treasure and began to mine its depths. Otherwise, known as is doing a Google search. <laughs> I came across a wee paragraph about interrupted cadences that seemed to really speak to my spirit. I wrote a little poem-y thing about it, as you do, just to remind my heart of what I'd read and to sum up what I felt like God was saying to me. So I'll just read that little thing to you now. So it's called On Music Theory. The interrupted cadence, no less beautiful for being so. Why grip so white-knuckled tightly to the paltry offerings of how things really should turn out, missing the joy of new colour and unexpected soulfulness by only accepting the perfect five to one? May we dance around the fact that though the five to six brings something to a close, it is by no means in a definitive way. Hold hope, expect more to come. So as I read back over that poem on retreat that I had written all those months ago, I was able to remind myself that God was with me, even here in the grief and worry and lack of certainty and newness and doubt, offering encouragement for the journey and a hope and expectation of more to come. I was reminded that I could open my hands a little, knowing that God wasn't saying that this would be how life would be forever set in stone, that although some things were being brought to a close for now, that I should hold hope within whatever it was I was feeling, and to expect more to come, whatever that would look like, that all the goodness of our previous way of life, the joy, the connection, the purpose, the beauty, would be returned, whether with school or without. I'm so thankful for that wee grounding time at the retreat, the chance to go over God's promises for me and my family, because the last year has been a bit tough and there have been something to hold on to. Ivy has now been in school for three terms and it's been a time for all of us of joy and celebration and hardness and praying together and all the talking and the tears and loss and healing and hurting and questioning and missing the good old days. And even now we all sit on the fences to the best path and we continue to take it a day at a time. Basically, the psalm is an accurate description of the past year. And unfortunately, like the psalmist, it turns out that I'm human too. And I've done a fair bit of undulating between feeling sorrow and aloneness and frustration and forgetting what God had actually said and then reminding myself and then lamenting again and forgetting and remembering and so on. It's literally only been as I've been writing this talk over the last week that I've seen the parallels between the last year and this psalm. And as with the interrupted cadence metaphor it has reminded me of the importance God puts on holding on to hope and expectation in hard times. As I sit under God's love and kindness, I'm reminded that I can give myself permission to hold grief and loss and hope and expectation and actually welcome joyful moments all at the same time. I reckon we can, and I have done this, actually partake in little life-giving things almost as a prophetic act, like planting some bulbs knowing that at some time, different from today, there will be flowers where there were no flowers. Or wearing a necklace that you bought on a carefree holiday 20 years ago to remind your whole being that you have been lighthearted in the past, and it will happen again. It reminds our hearts that although things feel a bit dead right now, that we're hoping in God and trusting that he is weaving life amidst the darkness. So we too will weave life and accept the goodness that is still chasing us. This doesn't negate the hardness and the absolute right to feel grief and anger and sorrow, but it reminds us that we can hold two supposedly opposing things at the same time, that we can feel grief and also move and be in ways that show we are expecting goodness and life to come forth because we have a good God who cares for us and is always moving as I continually draw my mind back to God's promise of weaving beauty and good things into what I'm finding hard, holding an expectation and hope of more to come in the future, looking to God to fulfill what my heart is deeply grieving for as my deep calls out to his deep. There is a light that calls me onward. I wait in expectation in the loving kindness of God and his intimate and tender concern and care over my own and my family's life. So how are we invited to be in the midst of hardness? God is encouraging us to be honest with him about how we're feeling, to look to him as our source of joy and peace amidst the hard. He is promising that he has what we need to sustain us through the times when we feel like we're drowning. He is promising to show us his eternal kindness as we pour ourselves out before him. He is promising that he's trustworthy, That we can look to him with hope and expectation that he won't dangle a carrot and never let us taste of its sweetness. That we are never foolish to trust God. In our dark times we are invited to hope, wait for and expect God. Expect more to come knowing that this is not the end. I encourage you as I encourage myself not to get so stuck in the circumstances of now that you give up hope completely. Recall when God has been faithful. Recall words that have been given to you. Write down Bible verses that God seems to be speaking to you through. Read them and reread them. Mind their depths. Do a Google search. Grounding ourselves in this kind of remembering means that our actions and decisions are a response to being rooted in truth. Anchored in the firm rock that is God himself. And also we can look ahead with expectation. God is nothing if not good, and he can weave gold into the darkest of things and resurrect beauty from ashes. Maybe there's some here that God wants to reassure, that although it feels like things have come to an end, that you're actually in the midst of an interrupted cadence and he's asking you not to despair. It is not your end. Your song has not finished. Hold hope and expect more to come. You'll be back leading the procession, joyfully banging your drum again in no time. If you're in the midst of darkness, give yourself permission to let God see your hurt and grief. And then if you don't feel like you can sing the words, let yourself instead be carried by those around you as they sing them out. Let the words remind your inner self of God's truth. And if you're in a brighter space at the moment, why don't you ask God for a word of encouragement for someone here? They really can be a lifeline. Let this time of worshipping together be a place of memory because together we call to mind what is so easy to forget alone, that God is good, that his love for us never runs out, that we are not alone or abandoned, that he is ferociously for us. And let us all, regardless of whether we are under the waves or joyfully surfing on top of them, Continue to expect this vast and deep and unfathomable and yet supremely intimate God of ours to be working constantly in our midst and in our futures, leading us out into the brightness of his new day. He is, after all, the God of resurrection.
0: And that's us for this week. I love how Jess said that God can weave gold into the darkest things and resurrect beauty from ashes. May we remember that through the good times and through the tough times. If you want to find out more about our little community, then head along to theriveropawaho.org.nz. But until next time... Te aroha noa me Te Rangi E ki akwe. Grace and peace be with you.